Welcome back, campers. Good to see you all. Thank you, Danielle, for sharing. Excellent, excellent job. Yes, you speak and you get called. I get a pick on you in sermon. Yes, thank you, Danielle. No, uh, very good. The campers, as you saw from the video, uh, this whole week spent uh, dancing and puffing smoke in places. Apparently, no, no, no. Uh, that's, actually, that came out bad out where they were at. So, uh, and can I? It's a Maui thing. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Randy Pauley. I'm the pastor of Kahului Baptist Church. I uh, would like to welcome all the visitors here. Forgive my voice. It's kind of uh, cracking and going out. I'm going through puberty right now, um, as I often say. No, uh, actually what happened is a huge blessing. I'm really, really thankful this morning and really excited, even if it's a little tired. Uh, very, very thankful. So a few things that have happened this past week. One, the campers. So we've been praying for you guys. We've been lifting you up in prayer. I pray that the Lord's Spirit, the seeds that were sown uh, at camp this week would continue to grow and bear fruit. Uh, the second thing that's happened, and this is a, another very large announcement. I really can't capture the... Uh, the excitement really in my voice and right now, but uh, we've moved into the parsonage and the parsonage is complete. So, yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's, I say complete, about 99% complete. We're getting there and then we're moving in and we got a lot to do, but I just wanna thank you, Kahului Baptist Church. Uh, all of you, some of you who are here, your visitors, we've been working on our parsonage for about two years. Uh, maybe a little more, actually longer, kind of get it underway and renovated, raising the funds and stuff like that. And by the grace of God, we've been able to pay uh, cash up front for it. We didn't have to go into debt through your sacrificial giving, through your um, kindness and generosity. We are still and remain debt-free as a church. Glory be to God. And one of the things that I really hope and pray that the Lord uses the parsonage and this kind of, I guess you could say, next phase uh, of the life and ministry of Kahalui Baptist Church is that it would again be a hub, that we would be a hub of church planting, of pastor raising uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord that just have an impact, just a total impact across the Hawaiian Islands uh, and the Pacific and beyond, or as Buzz Lightyear would say, to infinity and beyond, uh, that we would have an impact for eternity. Amen. And so thank you for your giving. Thank you. In a few weeks, once we get everything settled and moved and uh, squared away, we'll be having an open house and we'll announce that. And I'd love for all of you. You're like, all of us? Okay, not you. But no, uh, all of, everybody else. No, I would love for everybody to come and uh, check it out. Um, I'm just so thankful to you, to so many of you. Um, I don't want to say names because they're going to get mad at me for telling them uh, names. But really just so many of you, Mike. Hunter, uh, thank you so much. He's worked so hard. Can you just give him a hand, please? He's going to get mad at me. He's like, dude, you're stealing my treasure in heaven, man. Right now, my treasure's gone, right? No, <laughs> uh, he didn't do it for that at all. He, he's going to get mad at me later, but I am truly thankful for him and his family, Eileen, Jesse. He's been down there like every day, literally every day, pretty much, since it started construction, working, checking on it, keeping things moving. Uh, so I just can't, and you know, so many others, so many others, Nick, for organizing the fundraising, uh, you did a lot, brother, you did, um, and just so many more, I can't even think about it all right now, all of you, just thank you so much um, for your kindness, and those who helped, helped me move, uh, and who are going to help this week, just thank you, thank you, we'll talk more about that when you guys come over to my place and party, so, 
All right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. May we rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and be glad in it. And your provisions for us, for our parsonage, for the ministry, the Kahului Baptist Church, the history it has had, we thank you for it. Uh, your faithfulness and your goodness to us. We thank you for bringing our students back from camp. Lord, I pray that you would hear our prayers, hear the prayers of their parents, that these young people would follow Christ all the days of their life. And Lord, would you pursue them with your goodness and mercy, Lord. Cling fast to them, hold them fast as we sing, and may they hold fast to you. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless this time through your word as we walk through the, the gospel according to John. And we ask that you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Summer Olympics will begin in August of 2016. And one of the things that's going to come along with those Summer Olympics is going to be a bunch of backstories of all the athletes, right? They're going to show you this athlete, and then they're going to give you the story of where they're from, right? This guy's from, uh, you know, America, grew up in wherever he's from. And they're going to give you this, this history of uh, these athletes. And, one of the, and you see this actually happen across many venues, American Idol, right? We all see the backstories. And then we laugh at the guys who are like, they're really bad at singing, but everybody else knows it except for them, right? And we laugh at those things, and, and we have these backstories. Now, what's the purpose of those backstories, right? You see their performance. Isn't that what ultimately matters? How they sing, how fast they run, how strong they are. You see these backstories, and what happens is as you get to know these athletes, as you get to know these performers, a relationship is established across time and space such that you begin to root for them because you feel like you know them, right? You have this connection with them like, oh, wow. And, and as you know them and you see what they're doing, it gives even fuller lights to what's happening. In like manner, in like manner, this is one of the functions of the gospel according to John, the gospels in general, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they record the backstory. They record the history of redemption for you. They record Christ, his life, his work, his death, his resurrection. And as you see the life of Christ, who he is, how he acted, how he spoke, what he who, how he moved and all the things he taught. As you see the backstory, a connection is formed. Now, my concern is that so many Christians know the gospel. So many Christians know the performance of Christ. You know the person of Christ. You know the work of Christ. You know the death and resurrection of Christ. You know his performance, and you applaud it. But you don't know him. You don't know him. That's the aim of this morning. My prayer is that as we walk through John, that we would see the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. And that as through the foolishness of what preaching, what Paul says, through the foolishness of preaching, that you would behold glory in Jesus. Glory in his person. And first, what John does, he turned his, our attention to a man sent from God whose name was John in verse 6. 
And now we return in verse 19 to the testimony. John was sent from God to bear witness to the light, but he was not the light. He bore witness to the light. And now we get that witness of John, the testimony of John as to who Jesus is. Now, John the Apostle, or the writer, reviews very few details about John the Baptist. Very few. Mark tells us that he came in camel hair and wearing a leather belt around his waist and eating. You guys remember what he ate? What did he eat? All right, I love to talk about wild honey and locusts. All right, you love to talk about this. I talk about this with children right, all the time because they're like, ew, camel's hair, wild honey, right, right? So it's a fun way to teach them the gospel, right? But Mark records all of these details. Luke records the birth, the, the kind of backstory of John the Baptist, how he came about. John doesn't get into any of that. He doesn't get into none of it. Why is that? I think it's because John, the apostle, wants us to focus not on John the Baptist, and I'm going to call him the Baptist from here on out so we don't get confused about me talking about I'm a John the, no, we're going to call him the Baptist. John wants us to focus not on the Baptist, but on the message, the testimony of the Baptist. He wants us to hear the witness of the Baptist, what he saw. And just so you know, this is Kahului Baptist Church, no we are not named after John the Baptist. You say, well, what are we named after? I'll tell you another time, but it's not John the Baptist. John wants us to focus on the testimony of the Baptist. Now, I'm not going to, there's no way I can cover 19 through 51. Actually, there is a way I can cover it, and you will all be fanning for a very long time, all right? Um, but there's no way I can cover it, so I'm going to move very briefly or swiftly through this. Now, why am I going to move swiftly through it? Because this is a narrative. Now, notice the Gospels are not like the letters, right? In 1 Timothy and Philippians, we walk through that just little section, little chunk at a time, six verses maybe, right? And we walk through it very slowly. They're not written like a letter. They're written like a story, a story. Now, how do you read a story? Do you read a story uh, by reading first sentence of that story, stop. No, no, the story is all-encompassing of the whole, so you read it in maybe chapters at a time or sections at a time, and so that's what we're doing. We're going to get a big picture. There's a ton of stuff we can go into here, but we're going to get a big picture, hopefully, and you'll walk away with something new, uh, I think, as you see Christ in this manner. John's testimony is first this. Very simply, I am not the Christ. The Jews, the leaders of the Jews sent a delegation. Here's this guy acting like a prophet, acting like Elijah, wearing camel hair or wearing a garment of, of fur and a leather waist belt, all these things, right? He's doing these weird things, acting like Elijah. Now, we're going to send a delegation. He's baptizing people. You don't baptize people then, right? And you don't even baptize people now. Imagine if you walk into church and I'm preaching and then, you know, Danielle... And pick on you again. Imagine Danielle just walks up back here and she just starts baptizing. Like, dude, I didn't ask you to do that. What, what's going on? Who's, whose authority are you baptizing these things? We didn't talk, right? That's essentially what's happening. John is baptizing all these people, proclaiming this message, and they want to know, who are you? Who are you? Remember the backstory here, 400 years of silence from God. They haven't heard a peep from him. No prophet in Israel. 
400 years of silence, and now this man John, sent from God, is baptizing. They want, to, they want to know what's up. Hey, what's up, dude? What are you doing here? This is my turf. Why are you baptizing people on my turf? You could say it kind of like that. So they want to know, who are you? And his denial, I am not the Christ. And this construction, this weird construction here right at the beginning, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed is, is John's way of identifying with the Baptist as strongly as possible that he is saying, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the chosen one. And they say, well, okay, are you Elijah? What do you think John says, the Baptist says? No. Okay, are you the prophet? You're the prophet. No. Who are you then? Who are you then? And John tells him, before we go and say what John says, why did they ask him if he was Elijah? Would that be your first question? You see somebody out there baptizing? Would that be your first question? Are you Elijah? Why did they ask him that? The backstory here is Malachi 4, right? The last word from God, the book of Malachi. If you were to go Old Testament, and the last book of the Old Testament before you turn over to Matthew is Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, the end of the chapter, you see a promise there from God, a promise. And this is what it said, Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes a promise. Before that day comes, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Interesting. Interesting. Elijah, if you remember, never died. He never died. Well, what do you mean he never died? Everybody dies. No, Elijah didn't die. He was taken up to heaven in what? Flaming chariot of fire. He never died. And so he tells him, Elijah's going to come back. I'm going to send you Elijah before that day comes. And you would probably think, is he going to come back in the same way? Is it going to be another tornado of fire? No. See, they didn't know. They didn't know what they were. They just knew this promise. And so they have been waiting this anticipation that before the Messiah comes or around that same time, Elijah's going to come. So if you're not the Messiah, maybe you're Elijah because you look and act a lot like him. 2 Kings 1.8. John says, no, I am not. Now, this presents a problem. This presents a potential problem. If you know your scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Jesus seems to explicitly say that John is, the Baptist is Elijah. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he says, in he is Elijah, if you are willing to accept it. Now, that's Matthew eleven fourteen, seventeen twelve, Mark 9, 13, and Luke 1, 17 where you can find those references to Jesus referring to the Baptist. Now, I want to take a minute because it is relevant to the point, but it, you're not going to get it, some of you in here, but just stick with me, all right? So some take this to mean, when, when John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah, some take this to mean, uh, dispensationalists, for example, that since Israel rejected John's ministry, the Baptist ministry, that he isn't the Elijah, and that Elijah is still to come. So the reasoning goes like this. Jesus said, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. But did they accept it? No, they didn't. 
And they say if they, if they would have accepted it, if they would have accepted the ministry of the Baptists and would have accepted Christ as the Messiah, then the kingdom would have come and it would have happened right then and there. And we'd be in the kingdom of God. But they didn't, and so now we wait. We wait for Elijah. That's one stream of thought. There's another way to see it. There's another way to see it, and I think it handles the testimony of Scripture more faithfully. So I'm going to challenge that stream of thought, dispensationalism right here. I'm going to challenge it. There's another way to see it that I think is more faithful and more simple. It does justice to the words of Jesus and to the words of John, the Baptist. The Baptist didn't make, the answer simply this, the Baptist didn't make the connection between his ministry and that of Elijah's himself. He didn't see it explicitly. He didn't understand the full significance of what he was doing. He knew who he was. He knew he, Isaiah 43. We'll get to that in a minute. But he didn't make the connection, the Baptist in his mind, that he was the Elijah who was to come. But Jesus clearly labeled it as so. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying John didn't fully realize who he was. Now, is that possible? Does that work? Does that fit the context? I think so, because later on in John, the high priest Caiaphas is going to do something similar. The high priest plotting with the leaders, the religious leaders, on how to kill Jesus, because Jesus is making an uproar. It's John 10, I believe. Jesus is making an uproar, and the Pharisees and religious leaders are plotting, we have to kill him, because if not, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to upset the whole nation, and it is better that one man die than that the whole nation perish. But the scriptures say Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, didn't realize the full extent of what he was prophesying. He was actually unknowingly testifying to the reality of the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ without even knowing it. He didn't understand the high priest, the full implications of what he was saying until later. I think this is exactly the way it is with John the Baptist. And in a sense, when you ask him, are you Elijah literally? No, I'm John the Baptist. I'm not literally Elijah. But he did fulfill the prophecy of Malachi 4, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, as the synoptics make clear. We'll talk more about that towards the end in application. So that's another way to view John the Baptist. Number four, or I guess number two, what they ask him, are you the prophet? Why would they ask him if he's a prophet? What prophet? He's a prophet. Are you the prophet? The prophet. What are they talking about? Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, right before Moses dies, right? The great Moses, the Exodus. He's up on the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments. Right before he dies, he says this, The Lord your God, Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So they're seeking this prophet. Are, are you this prophet then, John? The one like Moses. No. Well, who are you, John? Who are you? Tell me. Just tell me how it is. Don't keep me guessing. I don't like this game, right? Who are you? We got to give an answer. Who are you? Who is John? Don't look in. Don't look in Deuteronomy. Don't look in Kings for who I am. Look in Isaiah. Look in the prophet Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's who I am. 
Make straight the way of the king. If there's a valley, landscape it. Bring it up. Make it flat. If there's a mountain, blast it out of the way. Make it flat. If there's a curve, make it straight so that God's people... If you remember Isaiah 40 through 66, and I know half of you... Okay. Oh, there it is. Thank you, Johnny. Yes, you saved it. Thank you. Don't, yeah, <laughs> don't kick the little black box, all right? <clears throat> You're all awake, right? Isaiah 40 through 66, God's people were in exile. And in Isaiah 40 through 66, the chapters 40 through 66, he makes a promise that you will not always be in exile. I will call you out again from amongst the places I have scattered you. And then there's a promise of the new heavens and the new earth. You see, when he says, I am the voice, make straight the way of the Lord, God was promising and fulfilling that promise that he is going to call his people out from exile. He is going to restore his people. Now, if you're a Jew and you get that prophecy, you're going to think that God's going to restore who? Other Jews. Oh, you see, but it wasn't only the Jews who were in exile, is it? Not only the Jews who needed rescuing, is it? Genesis chapter 3. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. It wasn't the Jews who were only exiled. All of creation, all humanity has been in exile from the time of the garden. They were banished, exiled, cast away from the tree of life. They were sentenced under the curse of death, and they were waiting and waiting for the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and bring back life to all peoples. That's what they were waiting for. This is the greater exodus, the greater return, the greater restoration of the people. So when John says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, they're hearing it saying, oh, something big is coming right behind me. Now this morning, how does that apply to you? Because you're like, dude, I don't, I don't read Isaiah. I don't really care about Isaiah, some of you might be thinking, right? I don't even know, right? What's, what's the point here? The point is, all of you here this morning were born in exile. You were born in sin. You're so tainted and infected and under the result of the fall that you don't even know it. You want to know how you don't even know it? Because when Jesus does a miracle, we call it a miracle. We were talking about this in Sunday school. When Jesus raises the dead or heals the blind, you call it a miracle. You're like, oh, that's different. No, that's normal life in the kingdom of God. That is normal living and the new creation. That is the, what it will characterize. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying. The old men will not die young. Children will not be born dead. That is normal for us. It's not the life of the new creation. So when John says, behold, the Lamb of God, 
I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You can hear a new day is dawning. A new day is coming. The exile is over. Whew. Implications are big. Are you in exile this morning? Do you feel that exile? Do you feel that death on your body? Do you feel you enslaved to doing things you don't want to do and you try to stop it but you can't stop it? Do you feel the tension in your marriage? Do you feel the the loss of a child, maybe? You feel that pain of death? Time is over. Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here. So John the Baptist's basic message is, I'm not the Christ, and a greater one is coming. And when he comes in 29 through 34, he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now how did he know it was Jesus? Because he said he didn't know it first. How did he know it was Jesus? He said, the one who sent me, namely God, told me that the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that's the one. And John says, I saw that on him. I saw the the Spirit descend like a dove and remain on him. And I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the one. He's the greater one. The strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. You say, wow, that's not a big deal. It is, if you notice, if you know that the only thing a disciple wouldn't do for his rabbi, for his master, the only thing he wouldn't do was untie his sandals. It's the only thing he wouldn't do. Why? That's what differentiated a disciple, a follower, from a slave. They did everything else. They got him food. They made arrangements for him to travel. They did all sorts of other things for him, but they didn't untie the shoes. And John says, looking at Jesus, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to do that. This isn't self-love theology. It's not theology that lands well in our culture. It says, you know what, John? Just realize your self-worth, John. You're better than that. You're a prophet of God, John. Don't be so hard on yourself. Look at all the good you're doing. Believe in yourself. Trust in, you, you know, you're, no, 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 no. That's not what John says. He sees the greatness of this one coming, and he says, I'm not even worthy to untie a shoe. See, friend, beloved, check this out. If you, I'm kicking the box again. If you do not see and grasp the pervasive darkness that has infected you, that you have been delivered from, and you will not see the greatness of the grace of this king who comes on your behalf. You need to see it, and you need to hate the darkness and love Christ who brings light. So he sees this dove descending, or the spirit descending like a dove, on Jesus and remaining and abiding. I just want to flush that out real fast. What is this dove? Why did it come on him like a dove? Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of, the, of, of God hovered over the face of the waters. You skip fast forward to Genesis chapter 8. You remember Noah on the ark? God judges the entire planet sends a worldwide cataclysmic flood. Every man, woman, child, and animal killed, except for those on the ark, only eight. And at the end of that judgment, 
What did Noah send out? A dove. And when the dove landed on dry ground, he didn't return to the ark finally. And what was that a sign of? That was a sign that God's judgment was over. The new creation had begun. In like manner, the arrival of Jesus is a sign that God's judgment, death on all things, is passing. And the new world, the new creation is coming. It descended on him like a dove and remained. And now you could also bring in, we don't have time, the Davidic overtones of this, right? The second Samuel, when, in chapter 7, I believe, when David receives a promise from God that my spirit will come on your son and remain with him forever. And John's going to pick this up. We'll talk about it later. Later. So even though we skip it now, I promise we'll come back to it. He's going to come back to this and say that Jesus gives the Spirit, the Father gives to Jesus, who gives the Spirit without measure. He just gives him without measure. But time does not permit us. And then they cry out and testify that this Jesus is the Son of God, is the Son of God. That's number one, that's the witness of John the Baptist. Number two, that's our final point. You're like, oh my goodness, number two. It's the final point, so don't worry. The welcome. The welcome. You have 37 through 51, Peter, or sorry, Jesus calling his disciples. The calling of his disciples. Andrew, Peter, another unnamed disciple. I love this passage. He asks them, uh, John sees him, behold the Lamb of God, and now two of his followers go and begin to see Jesus and follow Jesus now. And now these guys are following Jesus, and Jesus looks back to them, sees them following, and says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? That's a question worth asking of every follower of Jesus. What do you hear this seeking this morning? Are you maybe like, man, I hope this Christianity thing can make my marriage better, can make my life better, my finances better, fix my children? What are you seeking? Are you following him because you want these things, or are you following him because you see him as your only hope for glory and joy? Notice also that true believers in God follow Jesus when they see him. True believers in God follow Jesus when they see him. That's a point worth making here in Maui, because we run into so many people who say, I believe in God, I'm spiritual. I follow God, but they reject Jesus and the teachings of Christianity. There's so many, but please note, if that's the case, when they say God and you say God, you're talking about two different gods. Because true followers of the one true high, most high God, when they see Jesus, they follow him. They follow him. This is why Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are not the same religion. They're not. They worship a different God because they reject Jesus. They're following another false God. True believers, when they see Jesus, they follow him. You see this call of Andrew Simon. We could talk a whole lot about that. I want to move to the call of Philip and Nathaniel. Notice how Philip describes it to Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. 
what does Nathaniel say when he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth? Don't you just love this blunt response? I mean, just no, no beating the bush here. He doesn't soften it. Nazareth? <sighs> Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? That's, that's the way he responds. Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? What does Philip say? You love this equally, right? Come and see. Come and see. It's exactly what Jesus said to the first that he saw following. Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see. Come and see. Jesus sees Nathanael coming. And he proclaims before he ever talks to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Odd way to greet somebody for the first time. Behold, Lance in whom there is no deceit. Odd way until you start to connect it with the surrounding context. Because we're going to end with Jacob's ladder in Genesis chapter 28. Now, see, if you remember Genesis chapter 28, our sermon series through last year, Jacob did what in 28? He deceived his father, Isaac. He, he dressed up like his brother Esau, his twin brother Esau. He entered in when his father's on his deathbed, and he steals the blessing and then skips town because he's afraid that his brother's going to kill him. And as he's fleeing, he takes a little camp outbreak in the middle of nowhere, and he sleeps. And while he's sleeping, he sees a vision, a dream of a ladder that extends to heaven and angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. Now with that context in mind, knowing that Jacob later has his name changed to Israel, now let's hear Jesus' words again. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. See, Jacob deceived and saw a vision of glory. Nathaniel maybe having not been deceptive, but blunt and clear is going to see a greater vision of glory. He's going to see the angels descending and ascending on the Son of God. That's the backdrop to this passage. And as Nathaniel responds, how do you know me? Jesus responds, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And merely that, just that phrase, caused Nathaniel to just rabbi. You, you are the Son of God. You are the one. Like, what? what? What happened there? Jesus says, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Beloved, note the whole Old Testament. All of God's miraculous dealings. The plagues, the exodus, the prophets, Mount Carmel, great mighty signs and wonders. Daniel and the lion's den, his friends in fire. God had done so much, and yet they had believed so little. And now he do so little, does so little, and they believe so much. Who is this Jesus? And he proclaims, you are the Son of God. That's where we're going to leave. That's where we're going to start to close here. You are the Son of God. What's, that is a loaded statement. You think you know what it means. You don't know what it means. You have a sense of what it means. You don't know what it means fully. If you were to read the Old Testament, who is the Son of God? 
Because this is the backdrop, right? So he's, he's using this backdrop, Nathaniel, and he's saying, you are the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Israel, the nation. They're called the Son of God over and over again. Exodus 4, I could give you many scriptures, but I'm just going to give you one for now. Exodus 4, thus says the Lord. This is what Moses was supposed to say to Pharaoh. Thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. See, over and over again, God views this nation as a whole, Israel, as his son. Now, when Nathaniel and the Baptist both look at Jesus and proclaim him as the Son of God, what's happening is a combination of the reference from Genesis 28 coming together with all these proclamations to highlight the reality that Jesus now, Jesus is the true and final and full and ultimate Son of God. He is the one that fulfills the types Jesus is the Son of God. The baptism of John, all of these things come to bear. And just as Jacob, every Israelite would look at Jacob, the patriarch, and honor him as the one through whom the covenant promises came to his people, now all followers of God must recognize that it is through Jesus through whom the promises of God come. Through Jesus, the true Israel. Now, there's a lot of implications there that I just don't have time to flush out. For those of you who are interested, I'm going to give you two clues for you to think on later. You combine what I said about Elijah and John the Baptist being Elijah and that stream, and you combine that with this reality that Jesus is the true Israel, the implications for that are massive. Think through that later. You can think on that. I would ask you additional questions than you're thinking. Who are God's people now? Who are God's people now? Think through the evidence. Think through Galatians, the argument in Galatians. Who are God's people now? Something to think through. Who are the true Israelites? Moving on in application. Number three, for those who want to think on another direction, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? You guys spoke about the fruit that you're bearing. Fruit of the flesh. Did I hear that right? Fruit? Is that what was one of the... Okay, thank you. I thought I heard it. I was, I was hearing different things at the same time. Fruit. You're bearing fruit. You're always bearing fruit. You want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Do you want that? Are you walking in the Spirit? If so, if so, if you want to continue to bear fruit of the Spirit, you must, you must, you must remain near to the side of Jesus. You must stay with Jesus because Jesus is now the source of the Spirit. He is the one who gives the Spirit without measure. Sometimes we can kind of drift and kind of divide the Godhead in our, in our minds. I know it's hard, right? You got the Father. Well, well, we do this with him. And Jesus, well, we do this with him. He died. And then now we're just in the time of the Spirit. We're just going to let the Spirit reign and feel the, the movement of the Spirit and, and dance and, and do all the... No, 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 no. Sorry, I don't know what's going on, right? If you want the Spirit, 
you must stay near to the side of Jesus. He is the one on whom the Spirit has descended and remained. So are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking in Christ? And if so, if you are following him, then you will be full of the Spirit. You will. There's some in here I would like to address. You're skeptical. You're skeptical this morning about this whole Christianity thing. I've never, I might have met you before. You might be visiting for the first time. I don't, I don't know, but I just know in a crowd this size, I know enough to know there are skeptics in here who don't believe in Jesus, who don't follow him in his teachings. You're skeptical. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to thank you for coming and listening to a 45-minute sermon. And I want to encourage you. Many, many followers of Christ have started out skeptical, just like Nathaniel. Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Jesus? Christianity? Okay, I like this other stuff, you know, love it, but I'm just not sure about all of that. I want to encourage you and invite you. The invitation remains. Come and see. Come and see. Stick with us through this Gospel of John, through this study of John, or go home and read it on your own. And see a man who will speak like no other man who's ever lived, who will move like no other man you've ever seen move. You might have heard a lot about Jesus. You might have grown up in church. You might have left that church because of the people in that church. Beloved, let me encourage you. Get to know Jesus. Come and see. Stick with us, and you will see, I pray, a glimpse of glory. For the believer in here, Christian, you've seen Jesus. You follow him. You want to know him. I want to encourage you. Be patient with those who doubt. Be patient with those who doubt. Just because somebody asks a question about Jesus or is it, can this really be? Is he from Nazareth? Be patient. Don't just shoot those people down with truth. Walk with them. Invite them. Come and see. We'll go together. I don't know. Let's go see and examine together. Still there are others, and you long for someone, a friend. You ever wanted somebody who just, just gets you, right? They just know you. They just understand. You're like, yes, yes, nobody else gets it, but you get it. My spouse doesn't get it. My children don't get it. My boss doesn't get it. Nobody else gets it, but, but this person. You ever long for that friend? You feel lonely when you don't have somebody like that? Just nobody else gets it. I want to point you to the supreme nature of Jesus as a savior and comforter. Is he not the greatest friend you could ever have? How does he respond to Nathaniel when he asks, how do you know me? When you're under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. He didn't just mean I saw you like I was walking by and saw you. Apparently, it's some sort of supernatural seeing such that Nathaniel knew immediately. When he says, I see you, think, uh, what is that movie that came out? Avatar, um, you know what I'm talking about. The James Cameron, the famous one, right? It just came out. Somebody yelled out for me. The big blue people. Avatar, is it Avatar? No. Yeah, that one. Yes, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Think of them when they say, I see you. I see you. I saw you. I know you. I know everything about you, Nathaniel, and I've known you for a very long time, and I love you. Come and see you. You, Jesus, this morning is that one. He knows you. He sees you. 
warts and all, everything about you. And he'll call you if you'll come and see. Then finally, I want to ask, is your relationship with Jesus marked by greater and greater glimpses of who he is? You see, the disciples started with a very low view of Jesus, or, or they didn't understand fully who he was. John's going to comment on that over and over again. They didn't understand this at the time. They didn't get it at the time. They didn't get it at the time. They grew in their understanding. Is that the way your relationship with Jesus has been? One of progressing and understanding and greater and greater glimpses of glory. If not, why not? If not, why not? You go into a lot of things here. It could be sin in your life, could be unbelief, hard-heartedness, laziness, prioritizing other things over him. It could be any number of things I could give you. But I want to give you and hone in on one. Could it be that because you are trying to see Jesus alone by yourself? We like to say, or Nick likes to say, rather, has our personal relationship with God become too personal? Notice the friends, the disciples, are called together. Andrew, Simon, another disciple, Nathaniel, Philip, coming together. Are you walking regularly in fellowship with other believers? If not, I'd like to invite you to do so. We have small groups, join a small group, but don't be content and satisfied to only try and see Jesus or follow Jesus by yourself. You are made to do it with a body of Christ, with followers, other followers, and they see things that you don't see, and you see things that they don't see, and you encourage each other to see and behold glory forever and ever. I encourage you. Are you seeing greater visions of Jesus? And are you seeing them with others? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this massive vision that I am very inadequate to unfold of the greatness of, and the glory of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I pray that your spirit would do what my words cannot, that you would impress Jesus on the hearts and souls of everybody in this room such that they would hear your words and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that they would have life in his name. We ask that you do this. We need you. We plead with you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now is a time of invitation. I'm going to be